from Malachi. Going in there, and I want us to take a look at an issue that I, I believe is among all the evils we see in society right now, all just happening at the same moment. It's it's almost head spinning. But an issue that has confronted me directly, because where I work, this whole uh, trans issue, gender identity, gender ideology, right? The people that actually control everything in Fargo, you know, just keep basically trying to push push it out of their throats, and they're always, you know, wanting to talk about it and everything, just to join seminars. But they're not forcing us. But I guess I can speak a lot of that, but I don't want to just speak about me. This issue is so corrosive and so destructive to the church and society. When we say praying for kings, for instance, praying for kings and those in authority that may live a peaceful and quiet life, if this continues to go on, there'll be no peaceful and quiet lives for Christians in, in this country. If we're going to, if we say anything or do anything except wholeheartedly accept their whole agenda. And the, a problem I have is it seems like by and large, of course, the vast majority of what's called Christian the church and its leaders that are recognized in the West, but we'll just speak of this country, basically condone it, lie about it, don't speak about it, or whatever. They just, they've, they just compromise the faith, and in many ways they're accepting, right? But I want us to take a look at and see what, first of all, it's sad that actually the strongest voices against this in our society <laughs> aren't even Christian. At least they don't even bring up the Bible in their discussions, right? It's all science, or it's unfair. Look at the difference in women's sports, or... But I want us to talk about and look at, one, I know we're aware of it in this church. We're, we're educated on it. But I want us to make sure that we don't get caught in the trap, because I believe we are to discuss it, and in every opportunity we should talk to it about uh, let's say are lost friends or even people that are Christians because if they belong to a church, most more than likely their church at the very least is not talking about this issue, but more than likely, right they're right they're confusing people with it at the very least. But the argument, you know, not to you know, it's okay to argue the scientific fact because obviously, for one thing, the first I want to dispel two things: one right? The, the truth, right? This all stems from a lie. This all stems from an outtake of so-called gender dysphoria. It's all a bunch of psychological mumbo-jumbo. It starts with a big lie, which comes off from another big lie that society just pretty much bought hook, line, and sinker, and homosexuality is normal. That's the root of the whole thing. And in a generation, if this comes along, just think of it, Right? 
No more children procreated. You know, you look, and it's tied right with the abortion thing, but look at that. There's no going back. They're trying to confuse an entire generation and so multitudes more than ever happened just a few years ago are having this done done to them because they're constantly confused and confused about it. But just think, well, what's to become of that? There's no going back once you do that. So those people will never be able to procreate it. And there are just so, so many things about it, the family. But first, let's start off with a few things. To have our main argument when we talk about it, if we're confronted with it, when we have an opportunity to speak about it, to maybe family members, as I said, neighbors or anything, let us be stick with biblical truth and trust that they'll either be convinced by that and be moved by that, or there's no point in arguing other things, right? Because God's word is our authority, not man's wisdom. But first on, on this subject, first if you would just turn to Matthew 12, Matthew 19, I mean. And in Matthew 19, with this whole thing about gender ideology, right, and everything that stems from it, saying that, well, persons, there's no such thing as gender, right? There's gender fluidity. Uh, people choose their gender. They may not be. There's no such difference between men and women. There's not even men and women. There's, there's nothing. There's whatever, right? It's all a bunch of confusion and mumbo-jumbo. But what does God have to say on the matter? The first thing we can stand on is Matthew 19.4. Because remember, a lot of these people now have been convinced, and they're even using scripture, like love thy neighbor, calling themselves Christians, and they're pushing that, even many in this own town. So we can localize this. And how fast is it spreading? Until three years ago, I never even heard the term gender dysphoria. Until two years ago, I never heard the argument about gender identities. And I consider, just never had a deal with it here. But, okay. Matthew 19, verse 4. Jesus answering, he's being questioned again, you know, by the Pharisees. And he, Lord Jesus, answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning, made them male and female. Really, when it comes to genealogy, that verse alone, he made them male and female, destroys the whole gender ideology argument right there. They can go on saying, well, what about this person feeling emotional? What about this? What about that? Because their whole thing is on emotionally. What do I feel like? doesn't matter what you feel like. You're either a male or a female, period, according to the eternal word of God, right? And of course, we want to just turn that right away. We know he's quoting from Genesis 1, 27. Because in the very beginning, in the very beginning, you know, it's like, like our Lord knew this would come. Why did he even have to say he created the male and female? It's like our Lord knew that thousands of years later, this would come up. I'm convinced of that. It's just amazing to me. But Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female 
created he them. Our Lord Jesus is quoting directly from Scripture. He's quoting the Word. Praise God, he is the Word in the flesh. Amen? But just for further clarification, go on, you know, to Mark, Mark 10, 6. And this time, you know, they're, they're questioning him about, you know, the right to divorce. And in Mark 10, 6, this, but from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. There's, that's the point I'm trying to make, right? With, let us not get sidetracked with scientific issues, because the first thing when we're discussing this with people, <laughs> you ever heard the old saying, right? We need to lay down the law. And the law, God's our only authority, the only hope we have, if we really you know, want God's blessing, and it's true, but also in the hope to reach them somehow, Right? Because first of all, they won't listen to the law, to Moses, when speaking about the gospel. If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be convinced even though one rises from the dead, right? If people will not hear the word of God, they won't be convinced of any, any truth, any righteousness. They won't just be persuaded by a physical argument, you know, an argument about science. Yes, yes, science agrees with this, and that's natural. But obviously, we need to go into the supernatural here because people are denying and they're being confused about what is plainly, by nature and science concludes, plain logical truth beyond question. There is men and women are different. So we need to stand on biblical truth. God made them male and female from the beginning. He hasn't changed. People haven't changed. Their feelings about things change. But God made them male and female, and that's authoritative. That's authoritative, and that should be the first place we stand when dealing with this issue. God made them male and female from the beginning. Uh, any questions? Okay. The reason this is so, so hurting me is when I listen to a lot of the arguments and things brought forth, the one thing that becomes plain to me, you know, I see a lot of their side using scripture against us. And for the most part, I see people not having good answers for them. They try to come up, well, love thy neighbor. And then love. Well, you, you just got to take the love. No, no, God made them male and female. And he says, well, what about their feelings? Well, no more what I say. You also need to repent. You know, we want to reach them, and we want to see them saved. We first got to confront them. You are living in sin. What your per Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and you know how it's combined together. What I want to say, and we'll look into that, right, is homosexuality, because let's face it, right, you're trying to change your sex, so it's against nature. But where did this whole, this whole thing exploded just, just years after? Because, hey, they stopped arguing with homosexuality because as a country or leadership, and the church at large accepted it and let it go, right? Hey, let's stop... Mike, you wanted to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I had to deal with Christians. So here, here we can have people now in professing to be Christian leaders yeah. using not only the liberal version of entertainment, yeah. but they're using inside the churches because of their, uh, their unholy, how should we say, exegetic view of Scripture. Yeah. And, well, and it's the whole thing where they, they try to get in, and for years they've been saying, there's another thing about it, how gross it is. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that for a minute. But I want us to take a look and saying why we take, why we as a church, right, and we've accused, we've had people, and we don't bring it up all the time, but when we're going through a book and somewhere it comes out and the subject of homosexuality comes up, which really, you can bring this whole thing back to it. We've had people get up right in the middle of the service and walk out because we're unloving. That's what they've been taught, right? We're unloving. Well, then what they're saying, in the essence, if we start to believe that, then we, what we have to be believing is God is unloving. We're wrong to think this way. Then God is wrong. That's how serious this issue is. And I'll tell you, when it'd be just like saying to someone, okay, let's say somebody was a thief. What, I'm not to confront them and tell them thieving is sin? Am I a hater? Somebody's a pedophile. Well, that's sin. Hey, you might hurt them. Might hurt their feelings. Right? You might offend them. They might get angry. They might not be feel a safe space. Right? It's the same thing. No more when, when they try to say this stuff that it's unloving. That's basically saying to tell somebody they're lost in sin is unloving. Then our whole faith is based on hate. In their view, we got to take it all the way out there, right? That means our faith is not in love. God is not love then because we take all of Scripture to it. I want us to take a look why this is so corrosive to society in that because this is all so unnatural. This is so unnatural. And it's called so. But I want us to... First, go to Genesis 19. 
These are just things that arguments, if you get into, if people especially, and, you know, I'm not saying we got to go out and look for this stuff. Trust me in that if you, you know, you'll have opportunity, especially if you work in the world and, and live here and you're dealing with people, especially uh, outside maybe a good, solid, solid church with solid teaching. Uh, you're going to hear arguments like this, like, for instance, God, you know, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because their root sin was pride. It's funny, even though that, that's mentioned that they take it, we won't get into that. That's a deep thing, but I can just say, no, yeah, they got proud. And it's interesting, one thing, what, what's, what's the mantra of the whole alphabet soup? Pride. It's interesting, right? So, But proud led them to the gross sin, eventually, of homosexuality and going against nature. But just in Genesis 19... We'll go through the walls. We, we both we, we all know the story very well, right? But we sometimes can maybe overlook part of it or not see it for what it was, right? The angels now show up in Sodom. You know, Lot's bought him into this house. <clears throat> the whole, well, okay, we'll go back to verse 4, 19 verse 4. But before they lay down, you know, all the people in Lot's house, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. Now, all doesn't always mean all, but apparently he's saying the great vast multitude of the men in the whole city came upon there and wanted those two what they perceived to be Men, men that they were attracted to, right? And they called him a lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. And we know what that means, right? We want to be intimate. And Lot went out the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Now picture yourself. You might not say that. I just want us to put ourselves... Try to put ourselves in the mindset. You know, we always say that. Put ourselves in the culture. Try to put ourselves in the scene. Try to get the intent. What's the Lord getting across, right? Because there are probably other things that went on. Every incident in the Bible and every incident that isn't always spelled out for us. But boy, this one is really in there. And we'll find it, it it's really bought up in Peter and in Jude also in the New Testament. But imagine, I'm going to say, had to be thousands Thousands of men, just wicked, violent, pounding it in the whole way. Let us have these men. And then, so, Lot starts out addressing him, do not do so wickedly. In the church, I think a lot of us, maybe a science, we don't get it, but maybe starting to think, geez, what could happen? You know, what might happen if I speak up? Well, really, right now, I mean, it, this, this is a pretty brave thing for him to do, in my opinion. God was giving him some backbone. And I won't get an eight when he offered his daughters. We can get into the theological thing about that. I could say, well, he knew he wasn't taken. But anyway, the thing about it, he'd done so wickedly. And I caught something. Well, I dropped down to verse nine, and this is interesting. He offers him his daughters. He said, don't do this wickedly. Do this. 
But verse 9, and they said this, wicked crowd, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came in a sojourn, and he will needs be a judge? It's interesting, listen to James White really believes, if you read that, it kind of sounds like he was probably doing this a lot, you know, because they called him a judge, right? He was one righteous man among everyone, right? Because I didn't even find ten righteous in the city, or he went to destroy it. So we know there wasn't even ten righteous. The only ones pulled out of that was Lot and his two daughters. Remember, and the wife looked back, and right? But so he came to judge. What was their attitude the minute they were confronted and said, what you're doing is wicked? What did they say? And he needs to be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them? And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand, and obviously the, the two angels, right, and pulled Lot into the house of them and shut the door, and they smote the men there at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. Now they're all smitten with blindness, and they're so angry and filled with rage, they don't even wander away. They're still trying to get in. These people will say their thing was pride. Why is it that's what God, the Holy Spirit, want us to see? Because that is a sin. The whole deal is about I'll see if their wickedness is as great as I've heard. Of course, it's just all for us, right? Because God knows all things. But their ultimate wickedness was this. That was their ultimate wickedness. And what had it done, right? They'd all gone together. And it's violence in this whole culture. You go back to they can say what they want. But their whole culture, this whole trans thing, this whole homosexual movement, that's all of it, when you confront it, they get violent. They get angry. Very angry. And not say, go ahead. Yep, and the one thing you know about that, right? When we're, we're we're you know we're addressed that just you know in Romans one, you know how they knowingly suppress the word of God, right? And deep down, right, they know that there's wrong, right? And that's why they're craving acceptance so bad, and they're really craving it from professing Christians. What they really like is somebody who's renowned and seen in their community to be a quote-unquote Christian. Because if we give them there, right, then they say, whew, got them. And now you can't say anything. And we, we, and we can't be contrary in this issue. That's what the world's seen, right, that the church is contrary to it. Are we going to hold? Are we going to hold and say that, no, the Bible does condemn this? Or are we going to say, well, no, it doesn't. Now now's the age of grace. You know, and you hear all this nonsense, all but lies. But uh, first of all, go to Second Peter. <clears throat> and 
I just want to point out a few things here. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 6. And, you know, he's talking about, you know, God will eventually judge. He always judges. If he doesn't do it in the present, right, we know that the day will come that it will be judged. And we're showing here in Second Peter, right, that he's given three specific times here, right, when the angels went against their authority and rebelled with Satan and were cast out of heaven, right, when he destroyed the whole old world with Noah, and it's interesting from Noah because we won't go there right now, but that whole thing, you sometimes have to wonder why God, when he first initiated the law, also laid down the law, right, in Leviticus 18, right, that men, it's an abomination for men to be with men and women to be with women, and he also laid down the law against bestiality. Now why do that? He said right before he destroyed it, he said, now because of their wickedness, all flesh had become corrupt. It's interesting. And I can say a theological argument we made, what exactly did he mean by that? But there is a reason. That stuff was obviously going around, right, for God to speak about it and give law about it. But it's, and all this stuff was leading there too. Believe me, at the same time, now they're trying to normalize pedophilia and... I'll guarantee you just the next step when they're trying to let boys and girls basically be recognized and feel like, okay, you're a dog, you're a cat, you're a pony, you're a duck, whatever. Where's it going to lead? A total loss of reality, right? And in the end, there are no, there is no authority. There is no God. I can do what I want. This is the way, even if there is, this is the way God made me. I have these feelings and these temptations. Therefore, it's okay to act on them. That's what it all boils down to. That's what they're saying, right? And for us as Christians, we cannot accept that. We cannot. We either are going to be, you know, our allegiance is either unto God and our Lord Jesus Christ, or our allegiance is unto them. We cannot have it both ways and say we're actually being faithful. We can't. Uh but he goes on, spare not the old world, right? Verse 6, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. Some people say, well, ungodly. He doesn't specify what was their ungodliness. He's wrapping all three of them up, you know, the Noah and, you know, the, the, the angels, Noah, the people on that. Go to Jude. We'll go to Jude really quick. Verse 7. Jude verse 7, speaking of that. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities about them in like manner. Keep in mind, it was in Sodom and Gomorrah. Keep, keep in mind, imagine uh, Bismarck, Mandan, and all the surrounding towns around here. There's a good way to put it. I'd say it was at least that many people. Probably more like uh, the Twin Cities in the area around them, but even in Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So that's the memorial forever, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, because of the rampant degradation and sexual immorality 
and which produce the violence because, right, they just want it to be free at this. You'll, you just will be. They try to come out saying, oh, they're all, just try to not accept them and confront them on it. And they're, they're, not, they're not very kind, right? But he, he set forth an example for all to see how ungodly this is. Since we can't, the three examples we're given are the angels, and those are the angels that sin, right? He judged them. The entire world, besides Noah and his family, he judged them. And the other third example we're given in all the scripture is Sodom and Gomorrah. Which we were talking about it, me, Dean, and Mike, just yesterday, it's like, you know, many other good, respected, you know, conservative, biblically grounded Christian men around are saying, you know, I think we're surpassed Sodom and Gomorrah right now. I don't read anywhere in the Bible, anywhere really in, in all history where something like this went on, where they're trying to literally, because even people knew that, you can't just, you know, where it was not, I mean, this is just really so utterly wicked. But, yeah, Mike. Yeah. Oh no, it's yeah, it's been here for twenty years, thirty years. It started with the acceptance of homosexuality and justifying that using scripture. You can find them all over places. One of the reasons we left the SBC. It's ingrained in SBC right now. But uh I want to mention I almost missed it, by the way, when we read that word strange flesh in Jude. Different, other, altered. Interesting. Different, other, altered. I say not saying, but maybe a little clue there of that because it, some ways to find it, right, that it was strange. And using that word strange in, in that context, right, it was just altered. Interesting. I just found that as a little interesting. But we know what he's talking about because obviously they're giving the example of Sodom and Gomorrah. What's the one wicked thing that we are given in Scripture to show us how wicked they were? Their, their radical, unrestrained homosexuality. And someone pointed it out that what they were doing was wrong and sinful and wicked. That's, that, that, that's all we're told. That's what we're told. And besides, somewhere else we're talking, well, they got proud and everything, right? Well, they fall down, right? They left God's law and that. They thought they were law on themselves. These people are all pride. It comes down to trying to deny God's authority, deny God, God's plan, you know, the way God, God set everything up, right? He made them male and female. That's where our argument has to go with that, right? That stops that whole thing. But then when it goes on there, his definite laws about homosexuality, because the two are so intertwined, that's why these groups, right, the whole group, the whole alphabet soup, is all defending one another. For the most part, here's some people getting up there, but that's all part, don't get it wrong, they're, they're trying to harden our hearts and harden society's hearts into slowly but surely accepting 
the lesser of one and then accepting the other and then accepting the other. Because now all of a sudden homosexual, homosexuals are okay to people just half generation ago would have said no. Then, well, trans people are okay as long as they're not pushing their thing, you know, on the children. They're okay. As long as they're not in our face about it, well, okay. Well, what's next? We were warning about this and speaking about it 20 years ago. If your argument is God made me that way, then nothing is off limits. Nothing. No gross, no, nothing. Nothing you can imagine. We can't even imagine how horrible it's going to get if this is not checked. And I'm not saying it will be checked, but I'm saying we have an obligation and a commandment to stand up. We're still his witnesses. We're still supposed to show forth his praise. And we do that by standing for it. And we can do that in a lot of ways, but not just to remain silent because that's what they mainly want. They want silence and subjection from anyone who would speak out against it. And then if no one is speaking out against it, more people will just go along with it until there's no fear left at all. And the entire society is just hardened. But, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, and the people who are supposed to be the law in this country, by and large, just go after the people who speak out against them. They don't do anything to these people who are actually committing violence, or they'll speak well of them. I'll just say this. They practically they stormed the Tennessee and the Kentucky capitals last week, both. These trans, <laughs> transurrectionists, but then they weren't called that, right? No, just a gathering. They were just protesting. They look at some videos about it. No, that's not. that was not a peaceful protest. But the same rules don't apply. Not one of them got, no, you know, they're not arrested. They're not called insurrectionists. They're state insurrectionists, for sure, because they literally stormed their state Congress and demanded action to be done. It's... It's amazing in that how, how it's changing, but just hold on with you know God's word and just to hold on to that. You just go to Romans one real quick, and I, I want to get this all in today. So just go real quick if you if you take a look at Romans one, especially twenty four through twenty eight, they'll keep trying to tell us, well, it's all in your interpretation, right? They keep trying to twist scripture against us. Well, that's the ultimate thing, right? If the church would have never started to accept this in the beginning, it never would have gotten as far as it would have. Or at least there would have been a fight. Now it's 
really, right? It just it's just out there front and center because most of the church has been either lulled to sleep or just lied to by all these false teachers and false professors. But tell me if there's any other way, how else are you to interpret this? What was the author's meaning, right? What was the author's telling us? Romans 1.24 Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator, Right? Worshipping ourselves or worshipping one another, creature and creature, right? More than the creator who is blessed for every man. Verse 26, for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. Another way, just a vile, dishonorable, shameful, disgraceful, something to bring reproach. I mean, it's vile, not everything not every sin, but people try to say, oh, it's no different than lying or it's no different than taking a pen from work. And No, it's for this cause, God, they have the vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use to that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. And then we know in 28, he gave them over to reprobate mind. I'll tell you, you look at that, you ever deal with one of those crowds and everything, or those people, you'll, you'll see reprobates. There's a big difference sometimes. You can talk to people about the Lord, and they might not ignore you, they might not do anything, but this particular group has a tendency to get violent. Has a tendency to get violent, but... It is true, and they, they just try to put it down. But let's look back forth. Is, is it just say that there? Like some theologians have all those problem verses. No, you know, ones that speak directly against their deal. We don't look at all of them, but just go back to, right? Go back to Leviticus 18. That's so what I'm going to say that we understanding, and when we talk to people about this, when we're arguing that, and remember, if it starts to get violent, they're, they're screaming at us, whatever, turn and walk away. But if they're willing to listen and they want out of a talk, we have to stand with Scripture. We have to stand with Scripture. And that's why the two things, gender, gender identity, all this garbage, all this lies, God made them male and female. Right? For us, that ends the whole thing. Sci and science agrees with us, but that's the main point we got to get out there, right? We stand on the authority of Scripture, not our own feelings about it. Right? But Leviticus 18 Verse 22. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Now, not only in that, and we can take that further because the Romans are shown it's women with women, are men with men, right? It's all homosexuality, right? Same sex. But go on to Deuteronomy 22. And there's this whole thing about, oh, what about... All these people, uh, you know, these these people dressing up as women and performing in our libraries, and hey, that's all good, you know. These kids need role models, role models too. This garbage. Well, first of all, yeah, uh, cross dressing. Yeah, it's it's mentioned in scripture. What does God have to say about it? Well, Deuteronomy twenty two five. 
The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. And I want to take this. And first of all, I want to say in our culture, right, I'm not saying, because bless my wife, Shara, she's wearing jeans right now. That, that's not referring to, hey, if you're wearing jeans, or we take that on that. I'm really convinced what that's really saying is men are not try. Men are not to try to disguise themselves and appear to others as a woman, and women are not to disguise themselves and dress and to appear to be like a man. They're not supposed to try to trade places. They're distinct boundaries set by God. So God would say to that man dressing up with women's panties and a dress and everything else and makeup, that what he's doing is an abomination. I would say that speaks directly to it. Do, you know, oh, you're not loving to your neighbor. By accepting and condoning behavior that God says and it is an abomination, people want to bring that out, and they're lying about it and twisting it. But remember, there's two tables of the law. The first table, right, is obedience unto God, right, is direct obedience, but worship God and for who God is, not to have any other gods before him, not to set up any idol, not to make any image. And the second table is about how we treat our neighbors. The first table is always first. We cannot even start to imagine to violate the first table in order to somehow, you know, we're not, you know, we're not being obedient if we violate the first table and somehow to somehow not violate the second table, which we're not, but you know, they try to say, well, you're hurting their feelings. You're not being loving to them. If I tell my kid that, well, I don't want you beating up your brother. Am I unloving? Because he feels like doing that at the moment. Right? That sounds ridiculous, but it's the same thing. You're just carrying it out. Let people do whatever they want, whatever they feel like, because that's their truth. Right? That's their truth. This whole world is turned upside down, but this seems to be the main issue driving driving all the change, you know, and of course there's a whole, the whole sinfulness at the same time about this whole idea about, now of course, it's funny, they turned it, you know, now uh, white racist, and what's so funny, it goes beyond that, that whites are racist, any person of a different color that thinks like a Christian white man or a conservative white person is also a white supremacist. That's how crazy it is, right? Because they, they cannot have their ideology, their sin. They, they do not want it uncondoned whatsoever. And then the leading of it, you'll eventually have a society that I believe is even going to be more violent than the society we read about right before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I can say a lot more of it. I want to bring out one point. And, you know, we, we say it so often and we know, right? That all scripture is given by inspiration of God, right? No prophet, you know, ever, you know, wrote the scriptures from his own imagination. And we understand that. But it's sometimes nice to be reminded directly from scripture itself who scripture comes from. Go to Matthew 15. Now, like this one time, you know, uh, Mike went through some various scriptures, and I won't go through the other ones, but I like this one in Matthew 15. <clears throat> I just want to read that, and we'll, we'll, we'll close with this. I want to read this and make a couple comments. 
Uh, Matthew 15, starting in 1. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, right, the Lord Jesus, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, what? Saying. So they were directly told originally, right, the Ten Commandments themselves, and the giving of the law wasn't just written down by Moses. The reason Moses wrote it is because God directly said it. You know, and I know we, we preach on that all the time, and we pound on that all the time, but if someone holds to that, and you find any good, solid Christian man, Dean's been doing a good job going through church history, the thing that settles everything, that settles heresies that they all stood on, eventually, and some of those battles were tough, was what does the word say, because the word is the word of God. And that's where argument has to always be and always has to stand, start and end on, right? Because they'll try to drift us off. Just when we're trying to preach the gospel to them, they try to drift us off. If you've seen the witness, if you know what I'm talking about, they try to drive, drive you off. And I'm not saying mentioning science or anything is wrong. You can do it. But don't get drawn in an argument about science. Stand on our ultimate authority comes from the word of God. Therefore, we need to know what the word of God says about the issue we're talking about. Right? Because that's where a Christian's authority stands on. Because it's not us. Say those things, hey, shoot the messenger, hit the messenger, spit on the messenger. But we're just mouthpieces for him. And I would just encourage anyone to think, okay, what might happen? Now that it's gone this far, and they feel so emboldened because they're not getting arrested when they do their violent things, they're, they're, it, the, the press, the government, Everything, for the most part, right, is behind them and trying to cover up their violent acts. What might happen if we start to do this? And that I, I, would, I would just encourage you to read First Peter. Read First Peter. Because if, and you do, suffer for righteousness' sake, what are we? Blessed. And actually, we'll close with that one where I love it. Go to First Peter. And I'm not saying we need to go look for this, but I believe we, as the call of God saved, as a Christian community, right, when we have opportunity, we need to start speaking up. I think we need to. And for the sake of that, if there's own children's parents aren't even protecting their children, shouldn't we give it a shot? But ultimately, ultimately, we need to just pray, Lord, that what I say and what I do brings glory unto your name. All right, we were to stand for righteousness. But 1 Peter 4, verse 19, and this is, you know, when we live for him and that, but wherefore... Let them that suffer according to the will of God, that means for living righteously and for doing righteousness, right? for doing righteousness, not just living, right? They will only suffer if, if it's something we're saying or right, not going along with. 
Them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. He is faithful. Nothing will come upon us that we can't handle. It will give us the strength and the grace to bear it. So let's, as, as his people, as his witnesses, you know, as his church, let's do what we can, you know, to help, you know, to help try to combat this vile, vile wickedness that is being foisted even upon this very community right now in our schools and in our government and in a lot of our larger businesses in this state. Maybe with that, uh, does anyone have any last comments or questions, Mike? No, no, far from it. Amen. Mm -hmm. No, no. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. You know, and the more I read it, I, you know, we need to ask ourselves, well, if not us, who? And others might point out, well, it's against science, against everything, but let's face it, they're not listening to the science. What they're using and what's convincing a lot of people to be quiet and everything about it or just accept it is twisted scripture. And that's true. That's what they're using. It's amazing. Listen to them how often they use scripture. Twisted as it is to justify whether they're calling themselves a Christian or not. They're trying to use scripture against trying to get the whole community to accept them using scripture. Sickening. It's an abominable. It's vile. I've heard those words before. But anyway, let us close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your great salvation. We thank you for all your many blessings. We thank you for saving us from our sin. And Lord, we know we'll never be perfect this side of heaven, but we know you've called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. We know that your grace teaches us that we are to deny all ungodliness.